Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, wheat versus iron, love versus hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country, a league of Jacksons and Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. Welcome to the 55-yard line, where tonight I am talking to Howie Mooney. Um, you know him as the host of the as as the host of the Sports Lunatic Show, a sports history podcast on the Fired Up Network. And um, Howie is also a Canadian football historian. And Howie has a new book coming out here pretty soon. The name of the book is Crazy Days and Wild Nights: A Collection of True Stories. From the pages of sports history, Howie, my friend, how you doing, man? Well, greetings from Japan. Well, it's it's great to be with you, Greg. Thanks for having me. And uh, you, we've uh, you know we're just hitting the record, but we've actually been talking for about an hour before we hit the record button. So, <laughs> um, and uh, now Howie is sitting. How cold is it? You, uh, it's it's going to be a nice sunny day here in Japan. What's uh, the weather looking like there in uh, in Canada right now? It'll be above freezing uh, tomorrow uh, and th- th- through the week. Uh, that's at least that's what I've seen on on the forecast. It's going to be so above shorts zero, weather finally. No, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> well, you know, anytime because I know you guys had the deep freeze over there. Anytime in when I live in Chicago, anytime we'd come out of a deep freeze and then go right into like you know above uh zero celsius to be like oh shorts time sure oh gonna go out there and you know it, it just it felt so different here in japan 32 feels like 10 at times just because of the way the houses are built and everything so oh, okay yeah yeah well hey um thank you very much for for sitting down with me and um yeah let's talk about let's talk about your book and it's funny because as i was you know you and i talked beforehand and 
you know, you sent me, um, you sent me a, a beta copy, as I like to call it, the book. Um, yeah. And looking through, you've got many, many stories here. Um, yeah, 19 different stories. 19 different stories. Now, I know some of these stories, not all of these stories occurred at events that you attended, obviously. Um, no, no. They're, they're, they're <laughs> stories of, of things that have happened uh, over yeah. the last 60 years. Uh, and as I was telling you earlier, um, you know, I, I've been writing for a couple of websites uh, right. over the last few years, and I tried writing stories that, you know, highlighted achievement and persistence for people. And those stories generally got crickets. And uh, okay. so the stories that the stories that are in the book, some of them are, are, are funny, some of them are very violent. Uh, but those are the stories that tend to uh, draw eyeballs uh, for some reason. I, I remember there's one of the stories in there. It's about a, a hockey game, uh, an exhibition game in Ottawa in 1969 in September between the St. Louis Blues and the Boston Bruins. And, you know, exhibition games for fans are often very dull, but for the, some of the players, they mean everything because that's their, their bread and butter. They have to make this team, you know, sometimes guys right. want to impress their coaches, their, play, their teammates or they come from another team. They want to you know, get respect from, from their new teammates. And, and there was one, one guy from the blues, Wayne Mackey fired the puck into the corner, into the Boston corner and the defenseman, Ted green went after it. And Mackey just pasted green into the glass. And back then that was legal. You could do that, but green didn't like it. And you, and he's thinking like, what are you doing that to me from, you know, what are you doing that for? It's, this isn't necessary. Any, any, swatted back i think he speared mackie in the groin and uh, mackie went down and and then so you know they went they were swinging their sticks back and forth at each other and um green caught mackie on the shoulder with his stick and then he started to skate away because he knew he was getting a penalty uh so he started to go to the penalty box and mackie didn't think it was over yet and he swung his stick i guess trying to get green in the shoulder but he got him in the head with the heel of his stick and and it it, uh, it fractured Green's skull, and, and nobody knew it at the time, but you know, that was what happened. And it also left him partially paralyzed on the ice. Um, back then, nobody wore helmets either, so right. uh, you know it was kind of it was one of these things that you know it's going to happen eventually. But it happened on this night, and it happened to be in Ottawa at the Civic Center. And back when I was a kid, I was nine years old when this happened. There was this trifecta of terrible things that happened at the Ottawa Civic Center, and that was the first one. And then a couple of years later, there was a, a brawl, a junior hockey brawl. And that's the story of that is in the book, too, between the Ottawa 67s and the London Knights. And uh, it was a playoff game, and the Knights were built uh, to, to run guys out, of, run teams out of their, their building, but the 67s were built with speed and skill. And, and mm-hmm. what ended up happening was some of the 67s players were getting just beaten up uh two kids almost died one of them in a, in a game in london in the first game of the series then in the second game on good friday uh again another kid almost died on the ice and quick quick work by doctors saved both of the kids lives but um you know when when those stories popped uh on the on the internet um they kind of little went a little bit viral and i got a dm from uh, one of the hosts on Sirius XM, and he says, "You have to come on my show and talk about this." And I said, "Okay, <laughs> you know, I'll I'll talk about that with you if you want." And uh, you know, yeah, those are the like I said those those stories um, 
for whatever reason, people eat that stuff up with a spoon and the stories about achievement and persistence and hard work and everything like that, they're nice, but I don't know. People don't seem to want to read them. <laughs> well, sex and violence, reason. I think you and I are of an age now where we both realize, yeah, sex and violence sells is way more, sells way more than uh, feel good stories. I mean, you just watch the news well, yeah. and lead off with, 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 with the most depressing thing and it hooks you, but yeah. feel good stories. Yeah. It's uh, they're great and everything, but yeah, going, going, it, going back to what you said there. Um, there's the old, uh, TV news and, and newspaper axiom that says, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. And, uh, right. so, you know, that's, well, that's not, not all the stories are, are like that. Yeah. But, uh, Marley, that's the dog's <laughs> going, but, uh, uh, not all the stories are like that. Just, uh, just some of them, uh, you know, but those are, uh, they're stories that when people yeah. read them, they just go, you know, did that really happen like that? Did it, it but honestly, that's how they happened. Um, when, you know, when you were now, the stories range and we're not just talking hockey, we're talking football, no. but we're also talking tennis too. There's a Monica Sellis story in there. Yes. Yeah. That was a, that's a terrible story too. Um, in April of 1993, she was playing in a warm up for the French open in right. Hamburg, Germany. And it was a clay court uh, tournament, so everybody could get used to the nuances of clay. And uh, she was playing, I believe it was in the, either the quarterfinal or the semifinal. And uh, she was, they were on a break between points, and she was drinking some water and, on the little bench that they have for the tennis players there. And yeah. the, some guy walked out of, the, out of the stands, and he was a Steffi Graf fan, and he didn't like the fact that you know, this new this new person was the number one player in the world and right you know taking taking uh, the, the 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 sunshine away from Steffi Graf so he stabbed her in the back uh just like that and uh i mean i don't think you'll ever see that happen today i think with security security's a lot more beefed up now than it, than it was back then 30 years ago but it was just one of those terrible stories and she was never the same player again well, and it was one of those too. I mean, it occurred obviously in a time before we had social media, anything could go viral. People had, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it was a big, it was one of those sports stories that I think today would, would be a lot bigger. I agree. Only because of the access we have. I mean, everybody's got a, Everybody has a professional level camera and video recorder in their pocket. And, yeah. you know, what happened to her? I mean, she was, yeah, I mean, it, it everything changed for her. And yeah. after that happened, if you can tell, for those people that are listening that don't remember Monica Sellis, what happened after it? Because after that, you know, she kind of just, you know, she went away. She did. She kept playing. She tried to keep playing, but it took her a while before she was able to get um, get back onto a, a tennis court again uh, to play right. professionally. I think uh, you know she acknowledged that she had PTSD, and she she could not train uh, like she used to train. Uh, she 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 gained weight, and her her uh, her people would give her crap about it. Uh, but uh, you know she but she finally got back. 
onto a court. It was about two years later, but like I said, she was never the same player again. And uh, it took a while. She eventually retired, but yeah, uh, she was on she was on the way to possibly eclipsing Margaret Court's uh, Grand Slam uh, record. Uh, she was she was on that kind of a trajectory. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a sad story, and it just it you know I mean it just yeah I just it's it's one of those. I remember I was in my twenties when that happened, and I remember that mm. was you know, um, but yeah to see that happen. But yeah, would that ha- you know the question is could that happen today? Yeah, I mean. Anything is possible nowadays. However, Mm -hmm. the security, I mean, back then security was not tight. There wasn't security like you see now. Now, obviously at tennis matches, the reason for the security, tight security there is because of that incident. Because as we learned, as we learned in that, there was no security. I mean, that that was easily preventable. Um, I mean, who now you can't get into a state. I mean, there's a reason why we get searched and, uh, you know, we get the pat down before we go into stadiums nowadays. Yeah. Well, the thing too, you think a few years later, about 10 years later, and the story, I put the story in the book too, uh, the, the malice of the palace, the amount of security that was present there was like minuscule compared to what you'd see today. Yeah. And explain to people that don't know what is the malice at the palace. Basketball it was one of the most notoriously, I guess, known basketball games that wasn't a playoff game in history. Um, it was a game in November of 2000 and I'm, you see, I'm, I've written this. It was so long ago that I wrote it 2004. I believe. No, sorry. 2004. No, not that, not 2004 night. Uh, my, my, I've got a brain cramp here, That's okay. but uh, the, the Pacers were in the palace of Auburn Hills in, right. uh, in, in outside of Detroit to play the Pistons. They had played each other in the playoffs the year before. And I mean, if, if you Google it, if you Google malice of the palace, you'll see there's all kinds of video. There's all kinds of stuff, but this story is written, I guess, more or less from the point of view of the Indiana Pacers and, uh, you know, playing in a, in the Pistons building. And if you've ever been in, in the, in the palace at Auburn Hills, it's, it's got a unique, kind of a feel to it and the area, the, the, the little runway that comes out from the stands uh, for the visiting team, it's small and it's narrow and it's your clothes. The fans are close. And uh, uh, for those guys to get off the, off the floor, uh, get their players to get back together again and get off the floor. Everything was thrown at them. Somebody threw a chair, you know, a folding oh, chair. And you know, it, it the beer and the, and the stuff that was thrown at the players as they were going off the, the, the floor. I mean, it was, it was literally a madhouse. It was just, and, and the, the amount of security that was there because of that game uh, and the, the NBA started mandating, you have to have this much security for every game now. And it's, it's uh, some people may think it's a little over the top now, but I mean, it's because of that game where there was 20 guys basically against 20,000 people. And uh, uh, it was like Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've reached an day and age now where even in Japan, I mean, I went to the college national football championship two months ago here. Um, mm-hmm. and even going to the stadium there, I got the, we got the pat down. We got the pat yeah. down. So we've entered a, we've entered a, an era where, I mean, you know, a lot of this, you know, a lot of this violent stuff, it was always somebody else's problem. Like when we were growing, I yeah. mean, it was England's problem, hooligans. 
But now right. we have reached a point now where, thank God, I mean, honestly, thank God we do have the security as much of a pain in the butt. It, it is getting into the stadium at times, or, mm. you know, there've been moments where I know I was up in Milwaukee, um, this before we moved, but, uh, you know, went and saw, I think it was the red, it was the reds and the brewers. Just, it was, it was, it was a weekend game mm-hmm. and we, <laughs> you know, it's a long, it's a long walk from the parking lot to, uh, you know, um, I still call it Miller park. Um, but you know, to get there, <laughs> And then we realized my wife had her purse and you can't bring that in. So, oh. um, so it was either hoof it back to the car mm. or, you know, check, check it in at this, this one place. And, and now they're, you know, they're accommodating people like, you know, my wife and I completely forgot about it, able to check things oh. in and, and just, you know, for like $5 charge or something to hold yeah. your, everything. Um, but yeah, nowadays, yeah, it's just the game has changed so much, not just on the field, on the court, but also in the stands. I can remember taking my son to a Toronto Argonauts game. This is probably within the last 10 years. Yeah. And he brought one of those plastic horns with him, you know, that that everybody has. and mm-hmm. Everybody used to have anyway. And uh, they wouldn't let him take it in because <laughs> you know, they, they thought it would be a weapon or something. And uh so we had to check it in and, and we picked it up after the game. But I remember we went to the Grey Cup game in Toronto at BMO Field in 2016 because Ottawa was playing in it. And uh, my son wore a Red Blacks helmet that I have. And he wore one of the practice jerseys that we got uh, back in 2015. And uh, one woman stopped us and said, uh, does your son need to wear that helmet for, sa- for his safety? it's a game between the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Calgary Stampeders. You know, it's, he's, it's a Red Blacks helmet. We're sh- we're showing the fact that we're fans. Yeah. Does he need it for his health and safety? And I said, no, we're fans, <laughs> you know, and they let, they let him in and we sat down and within about 10 seconds of us sitting down, this guy runs over and he's wearing a, a Calgary Stampeders helmet and Jersey. And he wants to get a picture taken with my son. <laughs> and I thought this is the coolest thing ever, you know, as a, uh, just people being people. And, and so I got pictures of, of uh, this Calgary Stampeders guy wearing his full uniform <laughs> and my son wearing his full uniform. And, and, and uh, uh, it was really cool because Ottawa ended up winning the game in overtime and right. uh, we're walking out of the stadium and, and uh, that was a good uh, the wonderful thing yeah. about great cups is that you got people from everywhere. Uh, it's yeah. a celebration of, of Canadian football and there are people from every Canadian city uh, every Canadian football city. There were even people, I remember at, at the uh, game in 2017 in Ottawa, we ran into people there from Baltimore. Yeah, that, you uh, know what? Now that you say that, I, mean, I think maybe you and I had talked about that earlier, but yeah, Baltimore, uh, yeah, they're still, yeah. Wonderful, just wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, but leaving that game leaving that game in 2016, we're leaving that game and, and people see my son in his, in his Ottawa Red Blacks gear and and uh, they come up to us and they say, well, we're really, we're really sad that our team lost, but congratulations on, on winning the game, uh, your yeah. team winning the game. And I thought, you know, that's, wh- nobody does that. It's no. just so wonderful. You would never see that in the States. You would no, never, I don't think so. you would never, listen, I am, I, listen, I'm a, I, even though I live in Japan now, I'm still a Chicago one at heart. But mm. would I congratulate my friends who are Packer fans on a championship? 
Hell no. Yeah, uh, Lions fans, probably. But Packer fans, <laughs> no. Cowboy fans, can oh, you imagine, hell no. Can you imagine an Eagles fan <laughs> going up to somebody who beat the Eagles and saying congratulations? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's. I would not. Uh, no, you would never. No. And, no. You know, no. I'm not sure well, I understand. As we're talking here, I don't know. I got Siri listening in here, so you're here. If you hear, if you hear a woman in the background asking, "I don't understand," it's my watch talking to me. I apologize. Um, I must have hit the right pitch or something. But yeah, you would never hear. No, it's and that's what I love about Canadian football fans. That's what I love about Canada in general. I mean, it's it, it truly is. I mean, Japan is a very friendly place, but Canada is the same way. Very friendly, very open, very, you know, I mean, I spent, and you know, I spent, you know, some time up there in November mm-hmm. and it was, it was awesome. It was, it had been a long time since I've been to, you know, north of the well, border. That's the one wonderful the, thing about the going to the great cup games is that it's still for the people. It's still for the fans. And, uh, you can walk around and you can see people dressed in green and you know, they're from yeah. Saskatchewan and you can see people dressed in, in black and gold. And you know that they're from Hamilton Right. And, uh, you know, but you can talk to them all and, and, you know, we can, we, we're all, we're all fans of our teams and we all hate the other guys when we're playing against them. But at this time of the year at November, you know, when it's great cup time, right. We're all on our little Island together and we're all, we're all hoping for the same thing. We all, we all want the league to be healthy and happy and successful. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, that's the thing, you know, us CFL fans, people that are, not CFL fans don't really get it just how I don't know how the league is a working a working man's league is what I like yeah. to call it it's what I like to call it and so you know as I was you know along those lines as we were you know as I was looking over what you sent me you tell a great story in your book and the title of it is Ode to Leo Leon and Joe and the way you start the way you start out this this story um kind of gives me chills because i'm reading it and this is it's not it's not adult howie telling the story it's that 11 year old howie starting to tell the story so yeah, it's true so i uh, you know for those who you know younger than us give us give us an idea of what it was like growing up in Canada before the world, before things got international. I mean, obviously. And so in 71, you start off talking about, you know, between when you were between the ages of nine and 13, and then it's, you basically start off in 1971 and give, yeah. Yeah. Describe because 1971 is a lot different than, than 2023. I mean, it's, it's over 50 years ago. What was the landscape like there sports wise? Uh, well, I know in Ottawa, we only had the Rough Riders. That was the only professional team we had. Right. The Ottawa 67s were the junior team and junior hockey, uh, for anyone who doesn't really understand junior hockey in Canada, junior hockey is like what college football is like in, in the States. Um, you know, kids are, are 17 to 20 roughly. And they're, they're, they play at that level to get up to the NHL. That's, that's like a stepping stone for them. So we had the 67s and, and people went to see them and, and they, you know, they, a lot of people went to see them, but 
the Rough Riders were our only professional team, and the Rough Riders were the team. And I, as I say in the book, the 1960s were a tremendous football party in the nation's capital. Uh, but when Russ Jackson retired at the end of the 1969 season, you know, after leading the team to a bunch of great cups and, and, and successful playoff runs, uh, and, and uh, you know, the poor Toronto Argonauts were, were terrible in the 60s, from 62 to 67, I think, or 62 to 66. The Argos were at the bottom of the Eastern Division the whole time. Um, but, I mean, we, we idolized those guys that played in the CFL. I mean, for mm-hmm. us, they were, they were, they were the, the, our sports heroes. And, and little did we know at the time that the CFL, you know, like it, like it is today, it's a working man's league. And the p- players that played in the CFL didn't make big salaries, didn't make big money. You know, right. Russ Jackson had a job as a teacher outside of, outside of work playing for the uh, Rough Riders. Mm-hmm. And he was, here's a guy who was uh, outstanding and the outstanding player and the outstanding Canadian player. And, uh, you know, was, was a, a hero, you know, for 10 years and here he is, he has a job as a teacher and, yeah. and, uh, he was, he actually taught at my high school. Um, but that's, that's not important, but you know, so that's what we're looking at in terms of kind of the landscape. The Argos were terrible, uh, from 62 to 66. And, uh, they had this team uh, that played in the Continental Football League called the Toronto Rifles. And they'd moved to Toronto from Montreal in 65. But they played exciting football. The Argos were terrible and the Rifles were good. And the Rifles played four-down football. Uh, they played, uh, you know, U.S. rules, uh, U.S. field. Uh, and uh, But they had this coach, Leo Cahill, who was brash and he was cocky. And, uh, he just had this way of, of, of rallying his players behind him. Uh, and the Argos looked at him and they said, we want you to do for us what you did with the rifles. And he says, okay. And he started bringing players that he had with him on the rifles over to play for the Argos. Um, and in 67, they, they, they improved. And in 68, they improved. In 69, they improved, but they always kept coming up either against the Hamilton Tiger Cats or against the Ottawa Rough Riders and losing. 1970, they thought it was going to be their year and they, they lost again to Ottawa. Um, and um, everybody was frustrated. Everybody was unhappy. Everybody, everybody thought, you know, okay, this isn't the team that's going to do it. We got to make some changes. And so uh, they had two quarterbacks, Wally Gabler and Don Jonas, I believe, or Tom Wilkinson, one of the, one of the other. Um, and so Cahill got rid of his quarterbacks, um, and he needed a new running back, and he got a whole bunch of players on defense, uh, guys that uh, like Jim Stillwagon, um, uh, you know, big big names from university uh, football or NCAA football. Mm-hmm. And got them in, but his quarterback was a guy named Joe Theismann, and Theismann had been drafted by the Miami Dolphins in the seventy-one draft. Joe Theismann, Theismann, he only changed. Yeah, Theismann became when he was. Uh, you know, I'm giving. You know, Theismann, Theismann, Thunder. There, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I apologize. I digress. <laughs> Go on. That's okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the Dolphins had drafted uh, Joe Theismann, and right. they had come to terms on a contract. Uh, but uh, the Argos had been trying to woo him as well. Uh, but Theismann called the Argos and said, look, we've agreed to terms on a contract with, with Miami. So 
thank you, but um, but no. And so Joe Robbie sent the contract over to Theismann to sign. And when Theismann looked at it, um, he thought that the terms had changed a little bit from what they had originally discussed. And so he kind of balked at signing it. And then he looked at his situation there and he was going to be playing behind 26-year-old Bob Greasy. And it would take a while before, you know, looking at Bob Greasy's age and looking at Theismann's age, he thought, it's going to take me a while to get into the position of, of quarterback with this team. So, right. you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at Toronto. I'm going to go to Toronto. So yeah. he came up to Toronto. Uh, and, uh, then, you know, Joe Robbie was incensed, but I mean, the decision had been made and, uh, right. was an argonaut. And back then, for those who don't know, NFL salaries and CFL salaries were very comparable. You're right. And a lot of that had to do with the, uh, I guess the reserve clause in baseball had, had one thing, but in football, it was kind of similar, wasn't it? I don't, you know, that's a good question. I don't because know. owners could pay their players whatever they wanted. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was very much back then in the NFL. I mean, uh, if, yeah, if you were the only way you went to another team is if you got traded. Yeah, and I believe, and this is maybe just, I believe, if you did make the jump to another team, the other team, you know, the team that lost you would be able to dictate the terms like hey, you're going to give us a draft pick and you know yeah if you're going to take yeah, yeah but back then yeah there was no such thing as free agency and no. and you know i mean during this during the 70s um yeah there was to me and looking at the history books and reading everything and just knowing what i know the leagues were you know canada was always an option for somebody like theisman was there was always right. Canada was always that lingering option if you know Cookie Girl Gilchrist you know you talk quite a bit about in your book yeah played considerably in Canada um, and a lot of other great players too played in Canada and then mm-hmm. went back and forth so but going on as as you were saying about um, about the Argos back in the, about the early seventies I, I apologize yeah um, well. They needed a running back, and and they saw this guy who, who played three years so far at the University of Tampa, and he was gonna he was about to enter his fourth year, named Leon McQuay. But the New York Giants had been coveting him, and uh, they they really liked him, and uh, they were planning on drafting him if he was still available uh, when he was when you know, come draft time. Uh, but Leo Cahill said, "I like this guy. I'm gonna go visit him." But before he went to visit him in in his dorm at the University of Tampa. Uh, he stopped at the bank and took out $10,000 in cash. <laughs> and uh, uh, he said, uh, he went up to Leo, Leon's room and he throws the cash on the bed. And Leon <laughs> says, coach, uh, you better not uh, put that there because I might want to take it. And Leo says, I want you to take it and I want you to sign with us. And two days after that, Leon McQuay was a Toronto Argonaut. <laughs> I mean, oh. you know, it, it may have, it may have, Maybe been a bit shady uh, against the rules or whatever, but that was Leo Cahill, and uh, right. he did it. And he assembled this team in 1971. He also had Greg Barton as, a, as another quarterback, and they and and Theismann and Barton. Uh, Barton played for the Detroit Lions, but he was never a, a, a first stringer, so he very he played very rarely uh, with the, with the Lions. But he thought with the with the Argos, he would get a chance to play. And he says, I don't care. You know, whatever it takes. If Leo tells me to wash dishes, I'll wash dishes. I just want to play football. 
<laughs> and uh, he was getting that chance. But the Argos, uh, you know, they, they climbed up the mountain, uh, and uh, by 71, they were the best team in the country. But like Leo Cahill, their team was was brash. They all had long hair. Uh, they had long sideburns. Leo said, I don't care. As long as they show up to play football, I don't care what they look like in terms of hair and sideburns and that. But the, the conservative people or the, the conservative-minded people in, the, in, the, in, the, in this country were, were looking at the Argos as this, this team of hippies, and, 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 but they can play football, and, and we hate them. And attendance, everywhere the Argos went to play, attendance spiked because people wanted to, to, to boo the Argos and, and hate on them. And it was probably one of the best things for the CFL ever. Uh, and I've, I've, I've contended this often uh, since, you know, the Argo or the, the CFL needs a team like the Argos of 1971, a team that, that was good, but everybody hated them. And right. so they'd be the, the, the wrestling heel going into city after city, you know, and, and stealing guys, girlfriends and, and running out of town with them, you know, and, Basically, the um, the Charleston Chiefs of the N- yeah. of the of the CFL, and for those who yeah. don't know what I'm referencing, and if you've ever seen the movie Slapshot, great hockey. You know what? One of those underrated movies, uh, but it's one of the probably one of the best sports movies out there with Paul Newman. But yeah, oh basically, yeah. you know that's how the Charleston Chiefs. Uh, you know, you know that it goes back to what we said kind of in the beginning. You know, a little violence, a little sex, kind of sells. But yeah, if you get a, a cocky team like that, I mean, yeah, it'd be great if the Argos were that team now, man. They'd sell out. They would sell out. Um, they would sell out BMO Field every game. Oh, and the, <coughs> excuse me. That's the way it was in 1971. You know, yeah. you look at the attendance numbers because they played at old uh, the old Canadian uh, CNE Stadium at the Exhibition, which is where the the stadium is now, but it's. It's it's a new stadium and it's configured differently, but right. Um, but back then, you know, they get thirty five thousand a game. Sorry, just one second. And uh, everybody, you know, that, that, that wanted to, to go watch them play, just wanted to watch them lose if they could, but they right. didn't lose very often. There's one one little story I found in in uh, going through the old newspapers was after the game in Montreal. Um. You know, Leo's walking off the field. All the players have gone into the tunnel underneath the stands to get into their room. And Leo's walking off the field and some guy's yelling at him, you're a bum, Cahill. You know, you're, you're a loser like you always were when you coached the, uh, the, the here. And, and Leo's blowing kisses and he's, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, smiling. And, and like he was like Billy Martin, but, uh, uh, you know, kind of a football bit, version of Billy Martin. Yeah, uh, but uh, Mel Prophet had to come out of the, under the stands, grab Cahill, and pull him in there. Get out! Get, get back <laughs> in here, you idiot! <laughs> um, you know, save the guy's life. Yeah, well, and you know, I mean, there are characters. I mean, there's still characters in football, but I mean, that was <clears throat> that was you know for Toronto, and for those who don't know the story, 1971 was kind of a watershed year with with the franchise because. Um, that was the year they went to the Grey Cup, and they did. Things didn't they quite did. work out the way they had hoped. I I don't want to ruin the ending for people. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just going to leave that hang right there. That's a teaser. Sure. That's what we call yeah. in the business a a a teaser. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, um, so we'll go back. Let's go back to hockey. 
let's go back to hockey. And since I am in Japan, um, yes. as I was going through the table of contents, there is a story there that struck me. Um, and if you could tell people who Taro Sujimoto is. Well, I can't really tell people who Taro Tsujimoto is because, unfortunately, Taro Tsujimoto never existed. Uh, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, in 1974, the NHL was getting um, getting their players poached by the World Hockey Association. Right. And so they had to hold their draft in as secret a way as possible. But back then, there was no technology to do that, really, like it, like it exists today. And so what they, what they figured they'd do, what Clarence Campbell, who was the president of the league at the time, figured they would do, was they would hold their draft by calling each team and asking them who they want to pick. And he would have to read all of the players that were picked before since their last pick so they knew who was still available and who wasn't available. And this went on for 25 rounds. Oh, geez. And it went over three days. And Punch Imlach was the general manager of the Buffalo Sabres at the time. And he was not a patient man. And he was not a guy who figured that any draft picks after the 10th round were going to be any good anyway. Right. So he was getting really tired of the lawyerly drone of Clarence Campbell. And uh, so he and his... And his uh, public relations, his communications guy, Paul Wheland, were sitting there waiting for the phone call from, from Clarence Campbell. And they said, what if we picked a guy that, that uh, nobody would ever pick? And Wheland said back to, to Imlac, what if we picked a guy that didn't exist? <laughs> and so they start fig- trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? Because at the time, teams started scouting teams in Europe and uh, in, in the Soviet Union, not necessarily to get them, but you know, to, to look at what might be, be available. And then you started having players like, like Vaclav Nedimansky that came over from Czechoslovakia. You had Boris Salming and, and Inga Hammerstrom come over from Sweden. And so of, of teams going outside of North America to find players was necessarily a novel idea anymore. And so... Had gone to St. Bonaventure University, which is in the south, uh, like south of Buffalo. And in order to get there, he had to pass this farm that had this this stand out front that where they sold corn and they sold you know different foods off the farm. And it was the Tsujimoto farm. And uh, so Whelan kind of had an idea of the last name that he was going to use, but you know it was going to be Tsujimoto, and it was going to be a guy from Japan. And so they, 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 they discussed, you know, what we were going to, what they were going to do. And uh, so they placed a call to the Tsujimoto uh, household and they spoke to Mr. Tsujimoto and uh, it's Panjimlak from the Buffalo Sabres calling. Uh, Hi, Mr. Tsujimoto, what would be, you know, this is what we're planning on doing and, and uh, what would be, uh, you know, a, 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 boy's first name. And uh, so Mr. Tsujimoto said, uh, Taro is a good first name. So they said, okay, Taro. Okay. And what would be a, a good team for a sports team or a good name for a sports team? And he said, I don't know, the Katanas. So 
Fun Jim Lack and Paul Wieland together, they said, okay, we know who our next pick is going to be. It's going to be Taro Sujimoto from the Tokyo Katanas of the Japanese Hockey League. Um, the only problem was, and they could do that, I guess, I suppose, and they did it, but nobody ever bothered to check to see, okay, is there a Japanese hockey league? Yes, there is. It's existed for, you know, it's longer than the than the NHL has. Um, is there a team in Tokyo? No, there isn't. <laughs> and so, but nobody checked, nobody went to check. And, and, uh, so, uh, you know, Clarence Campbell called up and said, uh, who's picking for the Buffalo Sabres and, uh, you know, George Imlach. Okay. And who's your pick? Taro Tsujimoto. And so he had to spell it for them. And, and the thing that they were imagining was, and they were laughing as they were, they were trying to hold back their laughter as they were saying all this, you know, for the Tokyo Katanas, we're picking Taro Tsujimoto and they had to spell Tsujimoto for, for Clarence Campbell. And they, they're sitting there and they're imagining, okay, Clarence Campbell is going to have to spell this out for every team that he calls as they go through the draft. And, um, you know, that, that they thought that they were pulling a, a big ruse on the NHL and, and it was, and, it, and nobody, you know, we didn't have the 24 seven sports and news cycle that we have today. Right. And so nobody questioned it. Nobody, uh, you know, when they did, when anybody did question it, uh, you know, they said, well, you know, we're just hoping that he shows up to camp. You know, that's all even though they knew that he wouldn't and uh, come training camp that uh, there was jerseys in the stall for him. And, uh, you know, eventually uh, punch him like had to come clean uh, on, on what had happened. And when he did Clarence Campbell was, was livid. He was just livid. You know, he didn't like the fact that what that Imlac did this, but Imlac was just kind of trying to upset the apple cart in, in, you know, in doing something where he was totally born out of his tree. Yeah. And uh uh so you know it, it it the name was listed in the uh NHL guide uh for years. And then I found uh I had a hockey encyclopedia here and I looked it up and and pick 183 does not exist anymore. It's it's blank. Gee. Um so it, you know the league has, has taken it out of out of uh its its uh, official circulation. And uh but even though the name is not there does the legend live on? I mean, I could. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, are there jerseys out there with Sujimoto's name? Yes. Not, not, not officially for sale by the team. Right. But, you know, people, people can get whatever name they want put on the back of a Jersey and they do. And they, there are people that walk around with Taro Sujimoto jerseys uh, to awesome. this day. And people would, you know, at the old auditorium, they, the people would put up signs that says Taro says, you know, we need new general manager or something like that. Taro says, you know, and there, there were, the legend of Taro Tsujimoto has lived on in Western New York, uh, despite the best interests or the best efforts by the league. <laughs> oh man, that's and that's you know, as I was going through, I read that story, and I'm like, oh my god, that it's something. You know, again, it goes back to the date we live in a different age now, where something like yes, that we would do never happen. But you know, you no. think about back then. Where did you get your information from when you, you went to the library? Well, okay. Yeah. All right. So you go to the library. Realistically, how many books are there on hockey in any given library? Maybe two. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, I mean, a call back then to Japan, first of all, just the whole, again, just we live in such a different age nowadays that, you know, 
I mean, as I said to my wife yesterday, as we were, we were taking a long walk and there was something she wanted to, she wasn't sure about something driving wise. Cause you know, she's learning how to drive in Japan versus the States. And even though she's Japanese, she's never driven in Japan. I go, you've wow. got the entire world's knowledge in the palm of your hands. You can mm-hmm. figure this out. But back then, yeah, I could, yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm also kind of surprised, you, you know, there are more stories out there much like his where, you know, one team's going to screw the, you know, Hey, we're going to, yeah. not only for a practical joke, but we're going to screw these guys. And if there's well, a way to do it, especially during the draft, I mean, come on. Yeah. The, it's so competitive. I mean, anybody who's seen the movie draft day, um, yeah, knows just how cutthroat it can be. Oh yeah. No team is going to try to help any other team. No, no. You know, I'm in these simulation football leagues and it's funny mm-hmm. talking draft and everything. I always like the guys that come after me with a proposal. Hey, <laughs> and I go, okay, how does this help me? You haven't explained, you've, you've explained how this helps you. You haven't explained how this helps me. Cause really ideally yeah. a trade is supposed to help both people, but man, you know, for lack of a better term, and this was in a TV show called the league, you know, trade rapes happen a lot. And if oh, yeah. you're, you know, but then again, there's no rule against it either. So if you're, no. if, if you don't do your research, if you don't, you know, and that's, that's on you. So, um, I but guess I always love listening to talk sports talk radio when, and listening to people calling in and saying, well, they should trade this guy and this guy and try to get this guy who happens to be like the, the mega star from the other team. And they want to trade like a couple of fourth liners or something. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in trading, you know, and I do the trade, you know, I, I get caught up in trades. Doing You you would enjoy these scent leagues, too. But, yeah, there is that, because I had the number one pick in one of my leagues. It was a 19, uh, 1972 league, football, NFL. Mm. Well, Frank O'Hare, I lucked out. I got the number one pick, so I got Franco Harris. But, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of disappointed. Nobody... Um, Nobody pounced on me. Nobody came at me going, you know, a lot of the older guys, they play in these, in these leagues with 70 year old guys that literally yeah. have love them to death, but their life revolves around playing this, this computer simulation. Game. Right. Oh, I mean, they do spreadsheets and everything, how it's going to help. I'm like, dude, you're spending way too much time in front of that computer. But you know, I, you know, I had the number one pick. I wasn't giving up for nothing. Unfortunately, nobody came <laughs> after me, came after me with this, came, came to me with a deal I could not refuse. So, right. So, um, well, listen, let's talk, let's talk a little, before we, we wrap up here, let's talk some Canadian football. Um, it was, cause it really, this is the first show I have done. Obviously Scott's not with us tonight because of the time change, time difference and everything. Right. You're up super late. I'm up. Uh, you know, it, it's the, the whole time change. Just when I do the math on, on time zones and everything, um, my head hurts sometimes. So, that's, it must, <laughs> so, it must. so Scott is not with us tonight because of, of the lateness of the hour and everything. Um, but Scott will be returning. Don't people are wondering, where's Scott at? No, Scott, no, Scott, Scott and I are still be- <laughs> our besties. It just the whole time change and everything. I mean, him and I are still trying to figure out, um, you know, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to ju- we'll figure it out at some point here, but how to juggle the time change. Um, but let's talk Canadian football here. So um, we had the Argos winning, winning the Grey Cup. 
And honestly, yeah. I mean, it was one of those where I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you, did you expect them to win? Cause I sure as hell did it. No, I didn't. And, and when I saw that they were playing Winnipeg again, I was like, Oh God, here we go again. You know, the Winnipeg blue bombers, are the, are the, uh, they're the, uh, the, the Goliaths and, and here are these Davids that are going to go up against them. And, and then, you know, Enoch Mwamba played the game of his life and, and the presentations after the game, you know, for outstanding player of the game and outstanding Canadian player of the game. And, uh, just the, uh, the emotion that he displayed, uh, you know, just after that game, it was, it made it all worthwhile. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, I, I, uh, I don't get, uh, I didn't get a chance to go to Ottawa this year to see uh, any red blacks games, but you know, I made it down to, uh, to BMO to see some Argos games mm-hmm. and, you know, you see, you know, sitting, sitting right in front of you, you know, three or four rows down, you know, our, our parents of the players and you can talk to them and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you get, you have this, this ability and, and we, they were playing Ottawa. We saw them play Ottawa in at BMO field and I'm wearing my, uh, my red blacks practice Jersey from 2015 mm-hmm. and people are coming up to me and saying, who was that? And at the time I didn't know. So I had to research back and I realized <clears throat> it was Ronnie Pfeffer, the punter, uh, you know, his Jersey. But uh, now I can tell people that. But, you know, you're running into family members of, of players for the Red Blacks. You're yeah. running into family members for, for players on the Argos. And uh, uh, I, I just, I really, really love going to games and, and you know, talking to people and just the, the niceness that, that, it, that exists at those games. is It's like, it's not, it's otherworldly almost. Uh, right. You know, it certainly doesn't exist in my real world, but... Uh, you know, going to the games, it's like a vacation from, from the real world. Yeah. And, you know, I always, now I, you know, I, you know, now you think about it. I mean, these are parents that probably are similar in age to us and really yeah. we're watching their, you know, their kids on, you know, I always keep that in mind when, you know, watching football, especially, you know, with what happened in, in Cincinnati, um, yeah. you know, you realize these guys aren't that these guys are, are young. I mean, it just, they're, they're, yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing, but it's something you would never see in the NFL and no, the it, Canadian it, football true, league, weird. the Canadian football league is a league that's still, is going to be around for a long time. I have, I have a feeling. I hope so. so do you it's think, top with, of my head, touch wood. Do, you, do you think with Toronto winning the gray cup, that things are going to turn around in Toronto, at least on the business end? I hope so, because I think in order for the CFL to thrive, it needs to have a successful team in Toronto and not necessarily on the field either, but off the field. And we've the, over the last few days, uh, the Argos have been announcing all these re-signings of free agents and, and uh, it's, it's looking good for them. They, they're, they're, right. they're, signing, they're re-signing a whole bunch of guys that are important to their team. Ottawa's doing the same thing. Uh, Ottawa got a new coach this year and and I think there's a lot of optimism in Ottawa about Bob Dice as their as their head coach. He's right. already got Kahari Jones, who was a quarterback in the league and was was working yeah. in Montreal uh, this earlier th- last year. And so Kahari Jones is going to call the plays for him. Last year, Paul Apolis was coaching Ottawa, and he was trying to manage the game and call the plays. And uh, I think just for the fact that Bob Dice is going to be just managing the game and have somebody else calling the plays for him, I think that alone is going to uh, create a new atmosphere on the team in, in Ottawa. And I think that we might see Ottawa get out of the, the funk that they've been in over the last few years. 
I hope so. I hope so. Well, I hope and, so too. you know, and the, and the other thing too is, I mean, okay. So you got Toronto struggling at the gate. None of the other, t- I mean, other teams struggle a little bit too, but I mean, football is a business. So yes. is there any, and, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I've been kind of out of the loop Canadian news wise, especially since November after I was in, sure, yeah. you know, that's what I love about being in Canada. It was great. You know, I didn't have to turn on American news at all. And it was like, <laughs> Oh, this is kind of, nice. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I, I missed, I missed the CBC. Um, oh. But in terms of what is being said in Canada right now, I mean, CFL news wise, I mean, other than player movements, is there any, because the reason why I'm asking is because you got the XFL that is supposed to be starting, I think in two weeks. Yes. What is, is there, and this is over the weekend, you know, doing my research, reading, reading, reading excerpts from your book. Um, but also, you know, wanted to talk Canadian football like, Oh, okay. And I don't know Argonauts XFL, boom. You know, old news articles from two years ago when XFL News Hub was all over, you know, these XFL news sites. And one of them I know in XFL Newsroom, I love and respect those guys because I know he runs runs a great site. But then you got you got um, I call them the Alex Jones types uh, Infowars sites (laughs) where. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh yeah, the XFL. There's a lot of rock worship. Which, listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. He couldn't make. He couldn't restore the Snyderverse. Black Adam, which was a a, a great superhero movie. I, I'm a huge Captain Marvel fan, and Black Adam's mm-hmm. in the Captain Marvel family. He yeah. couldn't get that to work. So now the XFL. Everybody is all the XFL. You know, but the vast majority of us who are football fans aren't big spring football fans. So my question to you is, because, you know, you're the one who's written a book. <laughs> You've written two books. So you are more of an, I, I consider you more of an, a football expert than even myself. Um, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But do you think, but do you, do you, do you think the XFL? I, I talked like to you last, was it last year or the year before? I can't even remember now. I think it might've been, uh, I, I, I talked with, a couple of guys who played in the CFL at the time of the U.S. Uh, expansion experiment. Right. And um, when, because remember the talk, the talk when the CFL was talking with the Rock about merging with the XFL. Right. Mm-hmm. And I talked with them about that. No, two years ago. Okay. No, dude, that was three years ago. Was it three years ago? It was three years ago now, because that all happened during the pandemic. Right. But for some reason, I thought it was 2021. You could be right, spring. too, because I'm starting. Yeah, I think you might. Uh, yeah, you know what? You know, there's that's. You know what? Yeah, but 2021. I talked with Kenny Rare. I talked with Kenny Rare, and you should get Kenny Rare on your show if you want to talk about CFL stories. Oh, my God, he's got amazing stories. Oh, okay. What the? But Definitely. You know, about, good. About, especially going to the States. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, going to going to play in cities in the States. And he was talking about uh, some of the people that he'd met down there and how they're right. friends of his still to this day. And uh, Kenny's a Kenny's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And um, but uh, they didn't see how that could work uh, with the CFL and the XFL together. And just I, I mean, I will watch the XFL. I'll watch it because I love football. I love yeah. sports and I'll watch it. 
Um, I, I, I mean, I, I miss my St. Louis Battle Hawks, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> uh, um, but uh, you know, I'll watch it because it's on and it's football, right. and uh, I'm, I'm always up for that. But as far as the XFL, you know, poaching all these players from from you know all the other leagues, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to me, again, we're we're old enough to remember. Let's face it, the we're old enough to remember all these leagues that have come, gone, and died and got yeah. buried under yeah. a shit ton of debt. Um, yeah. And you know were, what? Were you were you do you remember the WFL? I. In the seventies, too young to remember the WFL. I mean, okay. I was seven. Uh, yeah. Though it's funny, I've got all my W amongst all the the books that I took with me. The actual physical books. Yeah, yeah. Were all my WFL ones uh, written by Mark Speck. Mm. <laughs> so, and I got to get Mark. We got to get Mark Speck on the show to to, to talk W World Football League. Because uh, yeah, I've got all his. I I brought all his books. Just as luck would have it. Um, Frank Costantino, um, Costantino, oh. all his books too. Um, yeah, too. So those were all my hard copies. But I also have um, the WFL history book. Where is it at here? It is. Oh crap, crap, crap. Where is it at? It's. Um, it's right. I. Well, I've got my USFL, the one dollar league, which is a book that's like a hundred bucks, worth a hundred bucks yeah. on eBay. Uh, while the getting's good, it's about uh, the WFL. I got that yeah. on ebay um for a price for more than i really wanted to pay however but much like your book about um the rough riders your history book yeah while the getting's good is also available on archive.org for wow. um you know as a library checkout so i've read yeah. you know i've read your book but not the hard copy but it's 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 available so yeah. i digress I, i'm not very i'm not really proud of that thing that thing but yeah. uh I had, I had a very limited time, very small, narrow window of time to get that done, and, and I'm not thrilled with, with the result of that. But uh, Well, it sounds to me like now would be, you know, at, at some point, you know, do a sequel. Well, what I've done, it, it, and, and uh, you know, this is kind of a, a pre, a pre uh, uh, just kind of letting everybody know or let you, letting you know, uh, I've finished a book on the 1981 Ottawa Rough Riders. Uh, and uh, they're unlikely, uh, you know, uh, ascent to getting to the Grey Cup game and, and almost beating the um, the behemoth uh, Edmonton Eskimos in 1981. And that was um, a team. Were, was that? A, and that was the team that was quarterbacked by Warren Moon. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and, Ottawa, uh, and the Rough Casey Riders. Watts, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, the the Rough Riders had gone hard after J.C. Watts because, uh, uh, you know, they had seen him playing uh, at Oklahoma. But uh, I think the Giants, was it the Giants or the Jets that had his rights in the in the NFL? But uh, they wanted him to be a DB. They didn't want him to be a quarterback because, you know, he ran a, 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 a an option, a run option offense in, in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, they didn't think he had the ability to pass. Uh, but uh, I've talked... I've talked with a bunch of people that played on that 81 team. And, you know, one of my friends, uh, Rick Sovieta was a linebacker on that team and he intercepted a pass from Warren moon. And, and, uh, you know, I asked him about that in the nineties when we used to host the uh, great cup parties and the super bowl parties at his restaurant. And he, so he was so such a down to earth guy and such a modest guy. And he, he refused yeah. to, to really take any credit. 
Uh, and he says, well, I got lucky on that one, Howie. He says, moon through the ball so hard that it's stuck in my face mask, and I just put my hands <laughs> on it and went down. <laughs> and you look at, you know, I've watched the game over and over numerous times, and, and Rick was being modest. And, yeah. I mean, he, he put his hands up, his hands, all the tape and everything they used to use back then, put his hands up, knocked the ball out of the air. It hung there in front of him. He he grabbed it, and he and he took it about two steps forward and then went down because he, he didn't want to fumble or, or anything like that. And, uh, but uh, uh, Pat Stokwa played for the Rough Riders. He was a slot back on that team, and he had a tremendous uh, Eastern final against Hamilton. And Hamilton was coached by Frank Cush and was expected to blow Ottawa away in that game. And and Ottawa was the team that with J.C. Watts at quarterback and and Pat Stokwa having the game of his life and and uh, just you know they they beat Hamilton. They upset Hamilton and. And they went to the Grey Cup, and they were 22 and a half foot underdogs against Edmonton. And and they uh, at halftime, Ottawa was leading 20 to one. Uh, and it, you know they just kept they kept Warren Moon off balance to the point where Hugh Campbell pulled him out of the game and put in Tom Wilkinson to, to play. Uh, everybody knew that Warren Moon was going to come back in the game at some point, but they just wanted to give him a breather, a mental breather. Yeah. And he came back in for the third quarter and. Uh, the game ended on a last-second Dave Cutler field goal, uh, for, and Edmonton won 26-23. But uh, you know that that unlikely uh, Ottawa Rough Rider team that finished the season five and eleven, worst record ever to make the playoffs, and worst record ever to go to the Grey Cup. Uh, but uh, you know they 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 managed to put two games together in a row. Uh, the final game of the regular season and the first playoff game against Montreal, and then the, and then the game against Hamilton. Right. Uh, where and that's the all you need in football time. is to get hot at the right time. Yeah, and they had they had continuity for the first time all year too, because they had so yeah. many injuries and so many guys coming in and out of the lineup all year long that they never had the continuity. And right. then finally, you know, J.C. Watts kind of found his stride, and uh, you know, Tony Gabriel was on his last legs at that time, playing at tight end for Ottawa. Yeah. A great, great uh, Hall of Famer, and uh, you know they put it all together at the end, and, and almost, almost uh, dethroned Warren Moon, Campbell, uh, and and the rest of those guys in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, that team. Uh, when I read the history of that team, it reminds me of my uh, my 2008 uh, Arizona Cardinals, which uh, oh, on paper were just. I mean, they were, they were, they were just a. They got hot at the right time. That's all I can say. Yeah, they got hot at but the Kurt right Warner time. Was not a, Kurt Warner was not a slouch, and uh, Larry he was no was slouch. They had they had weapons, but I mean, you look at the stats on that team, going how the f did they get in the playoffs? <laughs> yeah. But then Edron, but then they, you know, then Edwards James had not played really yeah. all it, but then, but his legs were fresh when they got to the playoffs. So I mean, it was. So yeah, no, I I can appreciate it when you you know you being a fan of, of that team and watching that team almost get to the pro almost get to the promised land. Oops. So Howie, with the going back to what we were talking about, I think just a, a few minutes ago here. Um, so we got the XFL start in two weeks and um, you've got the USFL coming up. How do you think that's going to affect the CFL? Do you see it affecting the CFL right now in the short term? I mean, is there, Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's impossible for it not to. I I remember back 
to the original USFL, um, or as we as we called it when they were poaching all the CFL players, the US awful. But uh, you know, uh, we we because uh, we were catty like that. But uh, well, rightly I mean, so. Obviously, yeah. obviously, you know, we're losing guys. Uh, I think Sam Platt was a guy who played in the '81 Grey Cup, and then you know to see him playing in the USFL. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're cheering for him, but at the same time, it's like, why aren't you playing in Ottawa still? Uh, you know, but I mean, I think it's impossible for it not to affect the CFL in some way, right. but there are so many players, so many people who want to play football and get paid for it in, in some way Yeah. that I think the CFL will always be able to find players. It's, it's, uh, it's just a matter of keeping them. That's that's the issue. Right. Well, fortunately, too, I mean, the XFL and the USFL are playing during times when the CFL is not, too. That's right. the other. That's that. Unfortunately, I mean, I want, and for those who might think otherwise that read my Twitter feed and everything, I want to see the XFL succeed. I'm all for I'm all for spring football, but I'm also realistic and have been around enough to know. Every time somebody has started up a spring league, it has failed. And right. I mean, I'm going to be, and I don't know, maybe you have a different opinion, but all I've heard is, you know, had not been for the pandemic, the XFL 2.0 would have been around. And then me realistically is looking at who owned it going, really? Vince McMahon (laughs) is not known for two things. He's not known. One thing he's not known for is loyalty and stick with, and sticking with something um, to to succeed. I mean, the first XFL right. he pulled the plug on. Mm. Unfortunately, everybody got paid. I mean, that's the thing. He did not stiff people on on money. Um, but okay, so now we've got two spring leagues, and you've been you you know enough about the states. You've been in the states enough to know. Um, and I'm going to use. You know what? Actually. I'm going to go back to my my trip to Ottawa here back in November when mm-hmm. I was talking. Actually, I was at the cap. My wife and I were at the Capitol, um, and you know the way that the way the Capitol is set up. It's 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 awesome. If you've never been to, the, to Parliament Hill, it's it, it's awesome. But I was talking to it was not, it was night. The tower was lit up, mm. and so my wife and I got to talking to a couple of the Capitol Police, and I mentioned something about the CFL. And the feeling was, oh, the CFL, no, I'm more NFL. So <laughs> it was just that Ottawa small had little... a tough time last year. I think Ottawa yeah. had a tough time last year. There was a feeling, there was a feeling of alienation among the fans that I know that and season ticket holders, yeah, who felt that you know that they were being let down by this team that, that they were doing terrible uh, re- uh, recruiting, terrible scouting. A terrible job with the coaching, uh, you know, with Paul LaPolice. They didn't like him, and right. and just I'm just I'm just going by by what everybody was saying. Uh, and it's funny because the game that I went to in at BMO when mm-hmm. Ottawa played, Ottawa won, and it was one of their few victories all year. And they beat the team that ended up winning the Grey Cup. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's funny they, because I, that's why I, I say I feel optimistic about football in Ottawa this year. Right. And uh, I, I I mean they have. I'm going to be at home in July and, and uh, there's, there's a game on a, one of the weekends that I'm going to be home. So, you know, I want to, I want to take yeah. my son lives with, with uh, my ex-wife, his mom uh, in Ottawa. And so I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, scoop him up and, and, and see if he wants to go with me. And 
and uh, uh, you know we always have we've always had good times going to the games there. I remember yeah. like I took him to the inaugural Red Blacks game in 2014, their home game, and we had such a good time. Uh, so many friends there. It was like going to a big dinner party, you know, where you know everybody and and your people are running up to you and saying hi and hugging you. And it was like it was it was really wonderful. Yeah. But the, the, and they and they won the game too. They didn't win a lot of games that first year, but they they beat right. Toronto that night too. Uh, but uh, I, I I always look forward to going to back to Lansdowne Park, similar to the way you always uh, you know you enjoyed going to Wrigley Field. I mean, I it was a place that I that I grew up. It's the place mm-hmm. that I. I feel like I was I was part of the the furniture there for a while. I covered the Rough Riders in the yeah. '90s, and uh, you know it was, I just there's a feeling about Lansdowne Park that it's so it's just so comfortable and it's so familiar, and I I really really like going there. Well, hopefully next time we get there, I you know it's um, we landed in Toronto, not Toronto. I'm sorry, we landed in Montreal. And that was really during the great cup. That was during the great cup playoffs. And oh yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, my wife, she's like, Hey, um, this trip is about us, not football. Cause literally the hotel <laughs> we were staying was, Oh, within walking distance of, uh, of, uh, of the university and where, yeah, you know, the first round was being played, but it, the day, the, the first round of the playoffs in Montreal, we were on the road to Ottawa so mm-hmm. I got to, I listened, you know, it was a very old school. I was listening to the game on the AM, AM signal out of Montreal. It was fading yeah. into Ottawa. Um, but yeah. Um, but the thing is with the CFL, you've got those hardcore fans, much like yourself mm-hmm. and everything. And yeah. it is very much, I mean, there's so much history with the CFL that do you, I mean, do you see the CFL trying to lure the fans back because you and I, we sit there and we see what the NFL has become and we see, you know, in the NFL, the, I mean, okay. So for example, being in Japan. Okay. Um, when we go out and I live in a, a town that is not, I wouldn't say it's not, this is not Tokyo where I'm at far from, mm-hmm. but it's also, I would say it'd be the equivalent of Louisville. Okay. If I got to give it a good example. Um, but everywhere I go, I mean, the other day, uh, I saw four people wearing Green Bay Packer stuff. And wow. I know they're not Green Bay Packer fans. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the, and, and, it, and I was very frustrated when I was in Montreal. And maybe you saw the, the Twitter post. And, you know, just Montreal, the old town is beautiful and there's gift shops galore. Yes. I scoured, I scoured everywhere to find me an Alouette's hat something really now yeah i found one shop that fortunately sold the style hat the relax fit the 47 and relax mm-hmm. fit that mm-hmm. i like but there was two hats left I mean, there was only one it was perfect um and i had uh had a cl- had a fight with my wife over buying that hat i'm like hey listen this is the only because but i could find expo stuff so i was very frustrated in the sense that the cfl th- listen we want to see the cfl grow but there is an arm there's a there's a whole audience the CFL is missing just on the merchandising of this yeah. sport that I think yeah. would draw. Listen, you and I, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my my new man cave here, and I'm looking mm-hmm. at the Miami Dolphins helmet. I have a replica from 19. It's a night basically the 1970s, mm-hmm. and it was the merchandising from the Sears Christmas catalog and the JC oh. <laughs> that, that sucked me into fandom. 
and that's yeah. the reason why I've got so much, for lack of a better term, and I'll use my wife's term, crap, um, that is football related. Um, but that's how you become a fan. That's how you become. And then there's also the parental part of it, where you mm-hmm. grow up with dad's team. And there's just so much that I get frustrated, you know, yeah, as a fan. I'm kind of rambling because it's, 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 it's late here. So um, okay. I understand. But, but I know um, too that I know what you're talking about. You make a kid's a fan. Yeah, and they you get them for life, and right. uh, I, I I agree with you. And one of the I'm worried I'm concerned about Montreal uh, because uh, apparently they have the owners have, have sold the team or they're st- they they want to sell the team and they don't so there's no leadership there right now. But they and just Randy bought Ambrosi, the team, <sighs> right? I'm just I'm just going by what I'm reading uh, on social media, okay. and Randy Ambrosi is is basically not. Uh, not really doing anything about it. And I don't know if there's anything he can do, but what you're talking about, you know, the, the lack of merchandising, everything should be in every store. You know, yeah. our, uh, there should be Argo stuff in every store in Toronto. There should be, there right. should be Alouette stuff in every store in Montreal. Yeah. And there should be, a, you know, the, the, like there should be uh, red black stuff in every, everywhere in Ottawa. I know in Hamilton, like I got a buddy of mine and he's a diehard Hamilton Tiger Cats fan. And he always, he always likes to needle me. And, you know, he says, uh, so, uh, you know, this was before the Argonauts had started uh, re-signing a lot of their free agents. And he was saying, mm-hmm. so what's happening with your Argonauts? And I said, my Argonauts? <laughs> and uh, he, I said, listen, the CFL is like my children. And I love all of them. But yeah. I love Ottawa a little more. You know, it's a, and he says, you sound like a parent with one child. <laughs> I am a parent with one child. You know, it's, <laughs> but uh you know, it's just the interaction that we have. And that's, that's like I say, that's what I love about the CFL is uh, whenever you go to a game, you can talk to people and, you know, people will talk to you like we're talking right now, you know. Yeah. Uh, they won't throw rocks at you. They won't, uh, except Hamilton. I think Hamilton, they have the tendency to, yeah. to, to be a little bit, bit more vociferous, uh, at, you know, at, at the best, especially when the Argos are playing against them. They're like Philly uh, but, fans. Yeah. They're like, it's, you know what? There's a bit of Philly in Hamilton and there's always, they've got a little chip on their shoulder, which I respect. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can remember a a game in Ottawa when in 1995, it was after the book had come out. My, that, and uh, I was there, we were promoting the book at, at a game and a busload of Hamilton fans came in and we started talking to them and, and they were so nice, you know, they were just so, so nice. And, and uh, I, I, I really respect them. Uh, you were talking about Frank Cosentino a little bit ago, and uh, I've never met Frank, but we've we've uh, we follow each other on Twitter and we've talked to each other, and and I I want to get him on my show too, uh, to talk about about his playing days and and his his life as a CFL historian, because yeah. I think he'd be a great guest. He's such a smart oh, guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, when I was choosing the books that I was gonna gonna take with me. Um, his were at the top of my list going, okay, I need to take mm. these physical books. Cause I gave most, I mean, I donated some, I got made sure I got whatever I donated or whatever I donated. I made sure I had an electronic backup copy. I didn't yeah. just think give stuff away. Um, there was an exception. Um, Randy snow with the world of football podcast is a good yes. friend of mine. He actually came down when I was in the midst of moving. Um, and we did the the tour and I'm like, dude, I have all these books. He goes, I'll take mm. them and I will find good homes for them. And he did. Mm. 
So like Arnie Chapman, um, mm-hmm. who with the Sports History Network here, um, he, him and they all met up doing the Pro Football Researchers Association Michigan meeting. And Arnie took some yeah. of my books. And I'm like, hey, I heard you took the, you know, so I told him, you took the Grantland Rice ones. Good choice. But I made oh. sure. But when it came to Frank and when it came to Mark Speck, those were guys, unfortunately, um, they don't have cop. There is no equivalent Kindle copy. So yeah, made sure I took those. And um, even like I've got the USFL book and my world football book. And, uh, but that's the nice thing about living in the 21st century. And, 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 you know, in the, in the second, in the, in the second, no, we're in the third decade now, right? Yeah. We're in yeah. the third decade of the yeah. 21st century. Um, I can take, you know, I've got thousands of books in the palm of my hand. So, mm-hmm. um, but going back to what you said about merchandising and everything. Um, so like BC has a new owner. And like the last yeah, year, he's, he's, he's using social media the way it should be used. Right. And, uh, the owner of Edmonton as well, I think he's trying, but, uh, you know, and, and he, and he seems to be very connected to the fans in Edmonton, yeah. uh, and, and, and doing as much as he can. He, he so, has no problems and he has no problem responding. I, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of yeah. like that Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban has no, if, Mark Cuban sees something he doesn't mark. I mean, but yeah, Victor Chu. Yeah. He'll be like, okay, this is why we're doing it. And you know, BC obviously needs to turn itself around and they've, and they've started to, they've done a great, a great job last year. I remember living in in Vancouver uh, for a couple of years and I played hockey uh, on a team in, in Surrey, uh, which is part of Vancouver. And, uh, you know, I talk about CFL in the dressing room and people are looking at me like I've, what, what's, have you have a, 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 <laughs> yeah. a, a disease? Do you have a, do you have a, are you, do you have a medical condition? Is there something going wrong with you? But, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, even back then that was 2001 and two, right. 2002 and three, whatever, whatever in that area. But, uh, yeah, the BC lions uh, at the time. And I mean, my, my, my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, massive BC lions fan, um, and, uh, you know, I worry about him because he has a medical condition, but no, I'm just kind of kidding. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, he, uh, but he, uh, you know, he's, a, wherever we go, um, I guess people, my age <laughs> and people, this is the thing too. People have, uh, you know, younger people say, Oh, the CFL is not relevant. Uh, you know, the, the average, you know, the average age of CFL fan is like 55. And I'm saying, so the average age for baseball fans is 55 too. Right. You know, the average age for a lot of sports fans is 55. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, yeah, NFL, I mean, yeah, we always look at the NFL as the template. And really it is. It's just, there's a reason why we all look at it as in even college football. So the yeah. question is now, you know, and again, this is a, you know, decisions. I mean, we're just speculating. We're podcasters. We speculate. Yes. Um, and thank God for podcasting because without it, Canadian football fans what really have a place to go i mean you've got you know the turf district you've got um al's flight i mean you've got al's flight tech i mean i could go on Mm -hmm. and uh two Mm -hmm. and out to just all the various cfl podcasts and i like to include our our little podcast in it though we don't do a weekly show or anything but you remember when when uh, you remember when the uh the argo story first came out and and you you wrote a beautiful uh little thing about it on twitter and i said uh you know this is from greg james from cfl america and somebody said 
what, what CFL America? What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, well, uh, and, and people are like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the CFL, without the fans of CFL, I mean, the CFL needs us fans. The NFL yes, they proved do. they don't need people in, they don't need asses in the seats. The CFL no. needs asses in the seats. Baseball needs asses in the seats. Yes. Baseball used to be the king, and yeah. now it's a regional sport. Right. Right. Um, I mean, you go, to, I mean yo, go ahead. I'm part sorry. of that, I was going to say, part of that, part of baseball's problem is that there is a 24-7, uh, you know, universe for their team in their city. Right. And so what we used to have when we had, like, the game of the week with Kurt Gowdy and Tony Kubek uh, on Saturday afternoons is we get to see every team from all over the place. Yeah. And we still can, but we have to we have to kind of push ourselves because we've just watched the Blue Jays game here or, or a Cubs right. game there in Chicago, you know. And do we want do we want to watch three more hours of a game in Oakland or do we want to watch a game in in Seattle? Right. You know. And me being the the insano that I am, yeah, I do want to watch those games. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, casual fans don't necessarily want to do that. Right. Right. Well, and you know, too, I mean. With streaming and everything, I mean, football, art, you know, we'll just kind of focus on, I mean, just sports in general. There's so many ways to watch it, so many ways to stream. I know here in Japan, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, the X League. The X League is the top level of of football here in Japan. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not quite professional, but you do have guys like my friend BJ Beatty over at and my co-host at Gridiron Japan podcast, mm-hmm. um, who just who who was retired, who is now retired, um, he was paid. You've got foreign, you know, foreigners coming in that are paid, but in general, most of these guys are just working stiffs. They're it's a semi-pro league, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. Yeah. Um, but they stream their games on the internet, so uh, there are so many ways to if you like a sport there's a way to watch it. Um, well, semi-pro football too. Uh, I'm sorry to, to interject. Oh, that's okay. There was a team in Ottawa in the late eighties called the Ottawa bootleggers. Right. And they played in the empire football league, um, which, you know, had teams like the Watertown red and black, which is one of the oldest uh, semi-pro teams in, in that exists in, in North America. Yeah. But the games were so fun to go to. There were five bucks right. to get in. You could bring a cooler with you into the stands with whatever you wanted. Uh, you know, you could drink whatever you wanted, eat whatever you wanted. You just bring it, you know, and, you know, set out, stake out your little area in the stands and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, sit anywhere. They'd get 8,000 people to a game, but they were so fun to watch. Yeah. And uh, I, I posted on Twitter, uh, 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 I think, a week and a half ago. The three piece, the three part uh, series that I did on the bootleggers, 88, 89, right. and 90. Yeah, I'll make sure and I, I post a, lot of a help. link to that after the show. Okay. I, I had a, a, a lot of help from um, from Warner Miles, who played, he played some CFL football, but uh, he had a degree in, uh, I think, metallurgy or in science, uh, in geology. Mm-hmm. And he realized that playing in the CFL, he wasn't going to make the money that he could make working as a scientist, which was his right. field. Uh, he played he played offensive uh, guard, uh, and he 
But he, you know, after playing four years in the CFL and, and getting a job at the Geological Survey of Canada, mm-hmm. he realized he still had some football left in him. And so he, he heard about the bootleggers and, and he went and, and started playing with the bootleggers and he played there for three years. And um, he was just, a, he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And he told me so many little stories and, and I, I bought his book as well. It's, I think it's called uh, Real Men Wear Black or something like that. Ottawa Bootleggers, Real Men Wear Black. And so many little stories about road trips and so many little stories about the politics of that exist in, in every level of, of sport. Right. But, you know, that exist in football as well. And uh, but, you know, as a fan, a football fan, the fan experience for those games is something that was wonderful and it was so much fun and it can never, ever be replicated because nobody anymore will let you just bring a cooler in of, of, of whatever you want to drink and, and let you sit and, and uh, right. uh, you know, in the stands and, and, you know, drink whatever beer you want or whatever else you want, yeah. uh, you know, and it's just never going to happen again. But it was just right. for that window of time, it was just it was like this comet that, that, that streaked across the sky in Ottawa. Yeah. And we just had a wonderful time with it. Well, I'm sorry, and, I was talking about. Oh, no, no. And that, you know, actually, as you were mentioning about the beer and bringing the beer in, I'm, I'm going yeah. back to a couple seasons ago when Edmonton, before they were, you know, back when they were the Eskimos, um, yeah. you know, had a deal where if you came in, you know, the beer garden. And they mm. they put like forty thousand in the stadium just with the beer yeah. garden, and there's so you know again we're sitting here we oh I can figure this out hey cheap beer that gets people in, so <laughs> so so you know it's uh you know hopefully hopefully you and I are going to talk again soon so as uh and we're gonna we're gonna figure this out for you know we will sit you know figure out the CFL stuff how to how to how to, sure. how, to how to make the league more popular. Um, by brainstorming and, and talking about, hey, cheap beer is the way to go. Yeah, you know, aimed, everybody aimed like the kids and merchandise the crap the out kids. of it. Yeah, that's all you get to all that, but it's just, you know, and you're like me. We beat our heads again. Like, listen, why? This is simple. This shouldn't be rocket science. So, well, well listen, my I'll friend. One thing. That's one thing oh, before, we, before we go. Yeah. When I was, when I was uh, 11 or 12, uh, the Royal Bank here in Canada, RBC, uh, they had a thing where uh, if you were a certain age and you opened up an account with them for mm-hmm. $5, you could get season tickets in the end zone for Rough Rider games. Oh, geez. So my brother and I did that because my grandfather had season tickets in the old North side stands in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. My uncle had season tickets in the new South side stands in Ottawa. And my brother and I, we could say we were season ticket holders for the Ottawa Rough Riders. We were like the yeah. Kings of the city. Uh, and back then they didn't have the net, you know, behind the goalposts. So oh, balls yeah. would go into the, into the stands and, and par- adults would beat up the kids for, to steal the ball from them if a kid caught it. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it was like that got my brother and I hooked and my brother right. to this day, he's worked for the, for the Red Blacks. He worked for the Rough Riders back in the day. And now he works for the Red Blacks as a, as a stat spotter for them. And, uh, you know, uh, you know how many yards, whatever yard line, all the number and all that stuff of, of tackle, uh, the runner, all that stuff. And he he works for the team now, and I covered the team for for a couple of years in the nineties. Um, you know, as it, and so it it but it made us fans for life. That little yeah. that little thing with the Royal Bank, it made us fans for life. And I'm sure that there are grocery chains or gas stations or you know uh, uh, petroleum companies or whatever that could do the same thing. 
right. in, in all these CSL cities to get kids into the park. Yeah. And yeah. if you do that, then you'll make fans for life out of these kids. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sitting here, and you know, I was having this discussion. It's like I'm looking at my football card collection. And <laughs> I'm looking at the, what year was this? From the, Saint Louis, the old St. Louis, the St. Louis football Cardinals. Um, yeah. You know, I'm looking at old card, like, oh, this is what, these, these are the things that, you know, you and I, the reason why we're still, you know, why we're sitting here um, on a very, very late night in, uh, in Canada for you yeah. and uh, around lunchtime here in Japan, talking about yeah. why we love. And again, we, when you and I talk, we're not, you know, we're, we're back to being 12 and 15, you know, it's 12. True. It's true. Yeah. So well, listen, you're, you're hey, talking about the St. Louis Cardinals and I'm thinking of Jim Hart and. Uh, well, that's what uh, I'm looking at. That's it. Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> the football Cardinals here, man. And yeah. uh, the original Chicago Cardinals is uh, Roger Worley. And uh, actually, you know what? You just said Roger Worley's name and I'm thumbing. And that was the first card I just grabbed. <laughs> that was the first card. And it's funny because I was now I'm a, I'm a huge Cardinals fan. But my first but when I first became an NFL fan, I was 10 years old and mm. Bob Greasy was I don't know. I saw a picture of Bob Greasy in his horn rim glasses. And at yeah. that age, I had the same glasses and I instantly became a Miami Dolphins fan. And wow. so I have, I've never met Bob Greasy. I, you know, he wouldn't know me from Adam, but I do have an autographed picture of him and you don't have a camera on, so you can't see my new man cave, but no. I got a picture of him. Um, but yeah, I was all about Bob Greasy in those late seventies Dolphins. I missed, I was too young to have, um, followed them as a kid, you know, during the perfect season and everything. Mm -hmm. But my first football memory that I can remember watching a game was in 77, the Cardinals and the Dolphins played on Thanksgiving. And this mm -hmm. is back when the Cardinals were the thanks, the Cardinals instead of the Cowboys were the, the Thanksgiving draw. And wow. Bob Greasy went into Bush stadium, very cloudy, gray, rainy day. And through six touchdown passes wow. and just torched the Cardinals. So since then I, but that's my first memory. So people look at my, my man cave and are going, why are the dolphins and the Cardinals it doesn't make sense. But for me, it makes perfect sense. So sure. And, sure. but I'm from Chicago, but I love the bears too, but the bears have yeah. always, for whatever reason, been my second team. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I don't root against the bears. In fact, when the bears and Cardinals play, I'm usually kind of neutral on it. Um, but well, that's if like I me in hockey. When I was a kid, uh, when we, on Saturday nights we'd get Montreal Canadiens games. There were no Ottawa Senators uh, back then, yeah. and so we'd get Montreal Canadiens games. And I became a Montreal Canadiens right. fan because I liked their goalie Gump Worsley. He looked like a potato. Uh, you know, he's uh, he had they didn't wear masks back then, and he had this face that looked like a potato. And uh, <laughs> you know, he just looked odd. And I thought, okay, I want to be a goalie. I want to be him. Yeah. I want to be Gump Worsley. And uh, but then the Ottawa Senators came in, and I. I covered the Senators for TV in Ottawa for, for right. a number of years in the 90s. And you get to know individual players. And it's like, it's like once, you, once you start working, covering uh, sports, I think it takes some of the, of the, uh, the tribalness away from you. And, it, and it, it makes you cheer for individual people as opposed to teams. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but I mean, are you I'm still – does, 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 does covering a team like that professionally – take away from the fan being a fan not really i mean i still I, something i've always wondered 
I mean, I, I, but I, I would, I really liked some of the players that played for the senators and they were so such nice guys. And yeah. so I became, I, I became inside. I'm cheering for the senators, but as, like, you know, they say there's no cheering in the press box, but you know, in your heart, you're saying, yeah, come on. Right. I, I, I always tell this story about uh, the senators one night were playing Vancouver and it was the one year that Mark Messier uh, was a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah. Weird. Uh, and yeah. he, he, they made him the captain. And so he became like the point man. And uh, it was two, nothing, I think for Ottawa in the first period. And with the way they played the defensive trap, uh, Jacques Martin's defensive trap, we knew the game was over in the first period. And so we get, we get around Mark Messier and he's got this intensity and in, in this, this uh, look to him. And he's, he's a fearsome looking guy anyway. And nobody's asking a question. So I said, okay, at what point in the game did you know it was over? And I thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> I thought he was going to, he started to give me that look. And I thought the laser beams are going to come out of his eyes and they're going to burrow holes through the back of my head. I thought that he's going to kill me. I couldn't look him in the eyes anymore. I could only look at the stubble on top of his head. Oh, but, no. uh, but uh, you know, I, it was, it was one of those things that we knew sitting in the, in the press box, watching the game that, Hey, this game's over, you know, yeah. Vancouver's not coming back. It doesn't matter. Vancouver's not coming back in this game, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't have asked it that way. I should have asked it in a, in a different way. It's like, it's like after a playoff game when the goalie for Ottawa, Damian Rhodes, played such a great right. game, uh, and, and they they were in the, in the process of upsetting the New Jersey Devils, who were the number one team and had won the Stanley Cup a couple of years before. And uh, you know, after the game, the Senators used to ride their bikes and do their scrums while riding their bikes, and I was part mm-hmm. of a third scrum that that was that was interviewing Damian. And again, I'm standing with guys from from New Jersey and New York and and. Uh, uh, the tri-state area or whatever, and, and none of them are asking a question. And so I said, uh, I, I thought back to uh, Phil Esposito one time when he scored a goal, I think in the Russia-Canada series in 72, and he said scoring a, that certain goal felt better to him than sex. And so I thought, okay, Damien, that save you made on the breakaway in the third period, did that feel better than sex? And he started laughing because <laughs> he, he kind of knew my sense of humor. And the, the guys, the guys from the uh, from from the papers in New York and New Jersey were looking at me like <gasps> scandalous. Uh, but uh, you know, Damien just laughed and he says, "I don't know if it felt that good, but it, it felt pretty good." And uh, but uh, I, I think it was the Bergen County record the next day uh, from New Jersey. There was a, a thing in the last paragraph of some guy's column saying a Canadian reporter asked the goalie if he felt like it was better than sex, and it was like whatever, you know, just. Yeah. just well, and the yeah, funny and the sad thing is, you do that today, you might get banned from the press room. Just the way people are, everybody's so uptight now. And yeah, back in the day, you could, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, no, you I, make a I, good point because I remember yeah. one time was when things started to get a little, a little tighter. It was about ninety, ninety eight, ninety nine, whatever. Right. Um, the uh, San Jose Sharks were in Ottawa to play a game at, against the Senators on a Saturday night, and so that we went to their morning skate. And there was one guy that I wanted to interview because he was not from Ottawa, but he was from close by, and I wanted to. We always wanted to get that local angle mm-hmm. uh, from the visiting teams when they came into town. And so I said to you know at the time we'd just go up to a player and say you know do you have a couple of minutes? Can I get you uh, for an interview? And they would say yes or no. And uh, Todd Gill was from uh, a town outside of Ottawa. And I said, Todd, you know, can I get you for a couple of minutes? And uh, he says, sure. So we do an interview in the hallway. uh, And um, I can see this one guy, he's walking around behind Todd Gill. 
and he's fuming. I didn't know who he was. And so I finish up with Todd and uh, Todd goes back in the room and, and this guy comes over to me and he says, anytime you want to interview a player, you have to go through me. And I said, uh, okay. Um, I don't know who you are, but you know, whenever guys are here and we ask them if, if they want to do an interview, if they're able to do an interview and if they say yes, we do it. And if they say no, we don't. Right. And he says, you have to go through me. I said, okay, who are you? And he told me he was the, the, the media relations guy or something. And I'm, I'm thinking that's not a good way to, to, uh, promote. That's not nice good relations. relations. That's no. not, no, that's not good relations there. Oh man, no. man. Yeah, no, it's such a different world, but you know, it I is. mean, um, I know when, um, you know, on my other podcast, when, you know, and there are some great media guys out there, um, for a lot of the teams, especially for the CFL. I mean, I mean, throw this, I'm going to throw, I mean, anytime I've wanted to interview a player, whether it be for, mm-hmm. well, actually the only player, uh, I can't think of, we, I have to, I'm having a, a brain hemorrhage here, but you know, for instance, um, when we interviewed, we did an interview over at Gridiron Japan with, um, with one of the players, um, one of the Japanese players that played on, yeah. um, God, I'm, I'm having brain hemorrhage here. I mean, I, anyway, I went, I, I reached out to Mike Hogan and I go, Mike, oh, just giving you a heads up here. He goes, no, that's great. No, no problem. I mean, guys like Mike Hogan and with, yeah. um, Hogan's you know, great. guys like are Hogan's just great. awesome. Hogan, Hogan yeah. was so gracious, so wonderful. I mean, yeah. and we've had him on our podcast. Um, Tashiki Sato, that's, that's, Oh yes, um, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. You're right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I know the name. And I reached out to him because it was that moment going, "Oh, you know what? Let me again." Me being, I'm, I'm, I'm retired Navy, so I know enough mm. to, hey, I might want to. And again, both of them were great, and that's the great thing about the CFL. They're really, you know, it's just on the marketing aspect. They just they completely yeah. dropped the ball. But when it comes to have availability of the players and and access to the players cfl is great you don't get that from the nfl so well listen my friend on that note let's wrap it up here um tell everybody where to find you where to buy your book um well the book's not out yet but um uh when it when it does come out i I do have an audio version uh that's ready to go but i'm (laughs) i'm not tech savvy um i have a, a website but it's not complete yeah. HowieMooney.com. Uh, right now, the only thing up there is kind of my bio. So okay. uh, I, I apologize for that, but I will get that up and running. Well, um, and what and, I will do is I will, in our for the podcast, I will put a link to your website. And is it okay if I put one to your Twitter account and also? Yeah, absolutely. To, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Also, also, yep. And then also to the fire up, um, to fire it up. And it, even more, even just as importantly, a link to your first book that's available on archive.org for people to, to, to check out and read. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, like I say, I'm not as proud of that one as I am of the, of the one that's coming, but, yeah. uh, yeah, sure. Well, it'd be, it'd be great if you if figure out a way to get that back in print or something, because that for, again, history book, I mean, it's a good history book. It's, it's, you know, and, there's only a couple books on the Ottawa on on on, on Ottawa football history books, right. and yours is one of, and yours is probably I think one of the first ones. So um, that'd be great if, uh, but it's available, and that's the key thing. 
even though it's been out of print, there is a print available um, at archive.org. I can't stress. I cannot, yeah, you, you, you shared I, that uh, link with me before, and, and yeah. I, I saw it, and, and I thought, this is pretty wild. I can't believe it. I have a couple of copies of the book here. But, yeah. Archive.org uh, you know, has got everything, and it's all wow. it, it's all public domain legal, and that's the key word here, because yeah. I'd be very, I would be very apprehensive uh, to read something that comes from a not so reputable website. But Archive.org completely understandable, is, yeah, yeah, is an is a wonderful site where a lot of books that are out of print are are available for borrowing and checkout. You can't print out the PDF but you can check it out for an hour, some books for mm. two weeks and read. It's, it's a lending library. It's really what it is. Yeah. So, well, listen, my friend, you stay on the line here after I hit the, the, um, the stop button here and we will, we will wrap up between you and I, but for everybody out there listening, Hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, hopefully Scott will be back with us for the next show. Um, you know, like I said, Scott is still a part of this show, but now with the time change and everything and battle and trying to configure time zone, it's been, a, it's been a challenge for the last podcast and this podcast, but we will have Scott back on the air hopefully soon. And if you're looking to find this show uh, or you want to tell people about this show, let everybody know, uh, simply go to from the 55 yardline.ca and I am at CFL America. Scott is at Adamson SL. Uh, we're both on Twitter. We're both uh, always active on Twitter. So um, definitely, if, if you know anybody out there who is interested in sports history, sportshistorynetwork.com. And if you're interested in maybe doing a podcast on sports history, um, please reach out to our boss, Arnie. Arnie Chapman, he is the football history dude, and he is also the brainchild of the Sports History Network, which is growing. And we've had several new podcasts uh, launched, especially since, you know, we've been on hiatus with our podcast, including the Pro Football Researchers Association uh, podcast. So with that said, thank you very much for tuning in, folks, and we shall be talking to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bouncing ball, and the ball game is over, and Greg Maddox has won his 15th game of the year. He lost 11. That's a fourth straight year that he has won 15 or more. And the Cubs have salvaged the final game of the year and have swept the three-game series with the St. Louis Cardinal. Well, a lot of things happened today. And they were all great. And they were all thrilling. And they were all dramatic. Too bad we couldn't have had a victory that meant a pennant. But that will come. Sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And maybe sooner than we think. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. As the spring gave away to summer, 
Past the ivy-colored dreams Toward the days that kept us Yearning for tomorrows Could it be our hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of these ghosts of shame? Through the good times and the bad times We stood beside you every day This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already... We have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.